Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Is there, and uh, I don't want to pull out one and leave you with the impression that one is more important than the other. But I will tell you that amid this powerful pattern of prayer, we find these words in verse number 11 Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It is an humble request of man to God. To say, Lord, we don't know what the scope of this day holds. We have no idea of knowing what we will face in the course of this day. And so give us this day our daily bread. We are saying, Lord, help us day by day. We don't pray on Monday, just bless us for the week. We don't pray on the first of the month, bless us this month. But this ought to be a daily Commission a daily request this day, our daily bread. I want to speak to you today from this subject, the covering of God. I'm glad to have the covering of God. Amen. I believe in prayer coverings. I really believe in that, that that the Lord, as though we would be blanketed with a literal covering, or though we would be cloaked with a literal cloak, I believe that we can be covered by the presence of the Lord. Amen. I will maybe use an example to perhaps bring clarity to that. Every time that our men have gone overseas to build a building on, on, a, on a foreign mission soil, we have prayed a prayer covering over them for their protection, that God would protect them from literal things of violence and things of, of that nature, or that God would protect them in their health. And so when these men would go over for these trips, they were on a timeline. They had to get so much accomplished in so many days, a prayer covering. Lord, let them accomplish what they are setting out to do. It is a day by day, day by day. If we are wise, we're going to pray, Lord, help me today in the course of this day. I thank you for what you've done for me yesterday and last month and last year and over the last number of years. But you see, that's all filed away in a place called yesterday. My tomorrow has not introduced itself, and so I am living in this moment, and so I need you today. One of my favorite passages of Old Testament Scripture is found in Deuteronomy 33 and 25. I have uh, perhaps to almost everybody in this audience at some time or another, I have given you this scripture when you were going through difficult times. The latter portion 
of this verse seems to go hand in hand with the principle of give us this day our daily bread because it's here that Moses records these words as thy days so shall thy strength be as thy days so shall thy strength be and so we would sit today and look at someone going through some situation that would be overwhelming and we might well think within ourselves I could never climb that mountain. I could never cross that gorge. I could never walk through that valley. But you see, the difference between you and them, amen, is not that they are greater than you. It's just the fact that God in that day has given them strength for that day. Those two overlapping promises seem to comprise one simple yet powerful truth. Despite what we face in our lives, God said, I will provide a covering for you every day. To the children of Israel, perhaps one of the most visual coverings was the cloud that led them by day and the fire that led them by night. Amen, that covering of the Lord. Perhaps in Scripture, there is not a more recognizable name in all of the Bible than the man named Job. His introduction leaves no one to question the fabric that made him who he is. We are introduced to him in Job 1 and 1. The Bible says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And so we have succinctly before us this man's resume. He is a man who is upright, a man that the scripture calls perfect, a man that loved God and a man that loathed evil. It is the Bible's way of saying that this is a good man. As a matter of fact, he was not just a good man. Job was a successful man. If we read about his life, he was not only a successful man, but Job was a very religious man with a large family. It seems that he was that person that, you know, you ever just meet people and we just sort of think in our own way, man, they got everything going for them. I mean, just, you know, they were just, they just got it all. You, you met those people? That's what it seems like. Amen. I mean, they got looks. They got everything. They just, they just got the perfect car and they've got the perfect home and they've got the perfect job. They just got everything going their way. And then without warning, his entire world collapses. In the course of one single day, Job receives four messages. Four messages that are captured in six short verses. Each individual message bore the news that of his livestock and of his servants and even of his children have been killed. In six succinct verses, he loses everything that, his, that was yesterday or a moment ago important to him. Despite news that would shake any of us to our core, Job somehow remained objective. Amen. Now we might want to peel back the shirt or the garment of Job just to make sure that gigantic S 
is not stamped on his chest because surely if there was ever a Superman, this would be the Superman. But you see, if you could have revealed somehow his bare chest, there would not be a uniform. There would not be a cape. There would not be any of those things, but there would be the covering of Deuteronomy 33 and 25. Amen. There would be the covering that says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. If we could just unveil it, there would not be anything mystical to this, really. There would not be anything super, there would not be anything as super heroic, but it would be supernatural. Job somehow remained at least in the beginning objective. And so he said to this just a few verses later naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return the Lord has the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord oh we read that passage of scripture we shake our head at least inside and wonder how in the world could a man who was standing in the ash of so much loss say, I am just going to keep trusting in the hand of the Lord. Though everything had taken a downturn in his life, he somehow seemed to be able to maintain that positive frame of mind. But things, as they sometimes do, even got worse. Job was then struck personally with a dreadful illness and in his utter misery the person and I don't say this to castigate his wife or the ladies in this assembly today amen but in the midst of his misery the person that should have been a voice to, to lift him up and to sustain his steps in her weakness she said Job why don't you just curse God and die why don't we just pull the pin on this grenade and why don't we just call it a we've done more and we have suffered more than anyone we have ever known but yet despite despite that misery Job remained faithful faithful though hurting I don't want you to have the, a, a wrong image or an ill image of Job he was not a man that was standing on the wall he meant as though nothing was wrong not a man that was so disconnected to his children that, that he was not weeping and wounded and bleeding inside nothing could be further from the truth Job was trusting but he was just like you and I he was cut out of the same cloth that you and I Amen. Job was filled with questions that really deserved an answer. And we're just going to look at it logically. He had some legitimate questions that deserved an answer. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard people say that, say this, and don't know how many times I've probably said it myself. When we say, I know we're not supposed to ask why. Comma. <laughs> But I have a question. I know we're not supposed to raise our hands in this class. We're not supposed to interrupt the lecturer of our life. But I have a question. Amen. I, I believe that we can learn from the life of Job. Amen. Job had many questions and he asked many questions. In Job 7 and 11, he said, Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And if we continue to read for 30 
chapters, we read about a story that is hard for even the most casual reader to comprehend. Something has gone wrong in his world, terribly wrong. I remember... I remember in in 1986, I believe I have the date right, in 1986, I remember exactly where I was. I was a truck driver at that time and season of my life and I was headed to Miami with a load and I was on Highway 27. I was going through uh, Central Florida and I was listening to the radio. It was the day that the Challenger was going up. And I was listening to the countdown. And as it got closer and closer, I reached a place, a wide place on the shoulder of the road where I could pull my truck over. And I pulled over. I turned the radio up, stood out on the fuel tank, watching because I knew to my left, over that sky, I was going to be able to see the Challenger go up and another group of people into space. I remember watching it go up. And if those of you who were around then, you remember all of a sudden those smoke trails started crisscrossing. And I began to think immediately something, that's something seems wrong. Something, something seems wrong. The steady, cool, calm voice of the man at NASA who was announcing this. Amen. They were obviously talking about something going wrong. But I was taken by how casual, or at least how calm, maybe I should say, that they were on the radio. And after a while, I began to realize because we had watched other shuttle launches, and this is nothing compared to that. Something is wrong. And in the same tone of voice, in the same tone of voice as the countdown, in the same tone of voice as liftoff, in the same tone of voice as every stage, I remember hearing that man say, the word catastrophic there is something catastrophic well if you could have just gotten a sound bite of him saying that word he wasn't on his desk brother Donnie Osborne jumping up and down something is wrong something is wrong I understand the professionalism of his job required him amen to just announce to the world that something catastrophic how could we have ever known the lies that were going to be affected amen there would never come home never sit at their dinner table again. Daddies and mamas gone. An innocent school teacher that would never stand before her class ever again. Amen. In that one small word, catastrophic. We could not measure the magnitude of that. And can I tell you today that when I say something went terribly wrong in Job's life, we need to understand we can't measure, we cannot measure the calamity that was in this man's life. In return, in return for his faithfulness, it seemed that he had just reserved, that he had just received utter misery. He pleads for God to come and explain why, and lest we feel ill of him. Amen. Lest we, in the midst of all this, something had gone terribly wrong. And so Job, in his humanity, he begs God to come and explain why. I just need to have a conversation with you. I just need you to talk to me. Amen. Job begs God to meet him in court. In Job 13 and 3, surely I would speak to the Almighty and desire to reason with God. That's not beyond the realm of human comprehension. I need to talk to you, God. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I believe I'm preaching to people that have been in the midst of your 
crisis and you just needed God to say something and it just seemed like heaven was brass. It just seemed like our world was locked down. It just seemed as though God was a million miles away. Amen. The life of Job perhaps raises the biggest and the deepest questions of all humanity. I have been asked this many times. You have been asked this many times. Perhaps all of us have even asked this many times. If God is so good, then why is there so much suffering? If God is so good, then why doesn't he do something about that? Or why doesn't he do something about this? Men and women that are filled with the Spirit of God, you know, we're not supposed to doubt God. We live up here in this protective bubble where we don't wonder why and we don't question why. We are not supposed to feel perplexed. Those who call him Lord should never question his divine motives. I mean, why would we ever doubt the wisdom of God? I mean, some people feel like just because we call ourselves Christian and because that we are filled with his spirit that we never doubt, never battle the spirit of doubt. Amen. That's what some people think. Spirit-filled people. Oh, those are the people with a ready answer. When life spins out of control, we always have a Bible verse. I mean, not a Bible verse, but the right Bible verse on the tip of our tongue. And it just fixes everything. It takes it out of an orbit world and it brings it all back into shape in just the twinkling of an eye. Amen. We are mystically endowed with the right answer to every twisted dilemma of life, but not here. Certainly not for Job. The story of Job, if we're going to be honest, is gut-wrenching at best it's honest it's heartbreaking it's the raw response of a man in a whirlwind of loss and disappointment amen I'm going to tell you something I I think about often how stats are kept on public figures and especially uh, people in the sports world you know there's someone during that ball game that is keeping up with every little nuance of their life and, 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 and they announce that What a fishbowl to live in that someone knows how many times you struck out. Somebody knows how many times you did this or you did that. I'll promise you there's not a person in this room and, and chief among them is this man holding the mic that would want somebody keeping up with every little thing in my life and then reading it all back for the world to hear. But it is the raw response. Here is Job of the raw response of a man caught in this vortex of loss and disappointment. We are quick to quote passages that remind us that that he never charged God foolishly. True. Amen. That he never sinned against God with his mouth. True. However, that is not to say that Job was not every ounce a man, a human being. He was a fleshly man. He bled when he was cut. He bruised when he was hit. Personally, I'm thankful for a man that was willing to be so vulnerable in the face of all this adversity. Job, like you and I, he just wanted to know why. Listen to Job ask some questions that I think we can all relate to. Job said in in chapter 28, verse 12, Where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? 
Job said, in other words, where can I find wisdom? And where does insight hide? I mean, I, I, I know there is an answer, but it's just hidden from me. If I just knew what was going on, perhaps I could better handle this. Job 30 and 26, when I looked for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness. Oh my. Job is honest and, and Job is real. And you know, oddly enough, sometimes people are uncomfortable in the atmosphere of real. There's, there's a segment of people, I'm not saying you're represented here today, but there's a segment of people that would feel much more comfortable thinking that Sister Boyd and I just live back there in one of those rooms and we just pop out here on Sunday and we just pop out here on Wednesday. That somehow somebody just unplugs us and props us up against the corner and we just step out looking like this, whatever this is. It's not so. We live in a real world. Real disappointments. Amen. Job is honest and Job is real. And even if that makes us uncomfortable, he's still honest and he's still real. And it's in the Bible for us to read. Job 3 and 20. The Bible says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Now, I know that's a little bit maybe hard to understand, so I just want to give you this same text in a paraphrased version. This is what Job said. Why does God bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want the worst in the worst way to die and yet they can't. Who imagine anything better than death. Who can't rather imagine anything better than death. Those who count the day of their death. The happiest day of their life. That's raw. That's honest. We would worry about someone saying that. Right? If we had a close relative, a close friend that was saying things like that, why we would want to stay the night with them. We wouldn't want them out of our sight. We might think they were a little loosely wrapped. We might think that they're crumpling under the pressure. It's in the Bible, friend, and it's painful that it is before us today. We stand face to face with the toughest and the most threatening questions ever asked. Sometimes we are more comfortable, I might add here, amen. Sometimes we are far more comfortable in the question phase of our life than we are in the answer phase of our life. Now, I'm just going to dip out here. Not going to be long. I'm going to just pop out and pop right back. Are you ready? Have you ever asked a question that you weren't prepared for the answer? And we were bold and courageous. I'd just like to know. And then all of a sudden you get the answer and I'm not really sure what to do with this. I was far more empowered with ignorance a while ago. And now I have the answer. <laughs> Questions imply that everything's still open. Questions imply that everything is still up for grabs. Questions imply that there's still a matter, you don't know where I'm going with this. Questions imply that it is still a matter of debate. But now answers, ah, answers. That's an altogether different animal. 
Answers. Answers, more often than not, require action. If you're negotiating the price of something, for, for instance, you pose a question. We're real comfortable over here in the question column. And then all of a sudden we reach that point in the question column. What will you take for this item? And then all of a sudden from across the desk, they say this. The answer places us in a different column. Now we've got to do something. A moment ago, we were like a peacock. Our feathers were all spread out. We were loud and we were proud because we were in the question column. We were in control. And now came the answer. <laughs> you ever been in those negotiations where you're sliding a piece of paper across the desk and they slide it back to you and write down what it would take and write down what it would take and all of a sudden they wrote down what it would take? Now you got to do something because you slid over to the answer column. Everybody all right? Amen. You slid over to an answer column and now this is going to require a response. It's a response that's going to make us face facts. It's going to require us to move out on the basis of what is rather than continue to groan about what ought to be. This is where we are. Living the answers can be far more challenging than even raising the questions. Sometimes it requires more courage to live with the answers than it does to just sit back and raise the questions to life. Particularly when those answers don't fit neatly into our life. Allow me to illustrate, if you will, from Job. Finally, 38 chapters later, God condescends to step onto the stage and he starts answering Job's question. Job's been moaning and groaning Rightly so. But he don't realize it, but God is fixing to slide him out of the question column into the answer column. And so Job in Job 38 and 1, the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. So I'm just thinking God's not whispering. Just my own weird imagination. But I don't think God has his arm around Job saying, listen, buddy. I know it's been tough, but out of a whirlwind. And, and God said, who is it that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Isn't that just like God? Amen. He answers a question with a question. <laughs> you find that in scripture all the time. I've found that in real life a lot of the time. Amen. God just keeps the questions coming. I mean, all of a sudden, the, the whirlwind comes, and God has finally spoken. And, man, I just pictured Job's hair blown straight back, eyebrows singed. And Job's thinking, well, that's a little more than I bargained for, and he hopes we're through talking. But he just got God started. Amen. Then God keeps questions, and they're flowing like a river. God is asking some very convicting questions. And before Job can even process that question, another one is on its way. It's a very alarming set of questions, questions like this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began? How many days have you woke up and said, okay, son, come on and rise? How many days have you went to bed and said, all right, son, go ahead and set? Have you commanded the morning and this line of irrational questions 
question and goes on for four chapters. It seems like God is not at all addressing anything that has gone on before. These arresting questions are certainly nothing to do with the questions that Job had asked. And it's as though Job, that God was saying to Job this, don't ask me to explain unfairness to someone who doesn't even know how to make a sunrise. If I have that kind of ability, if I can make the sunrise, if I can make the sunset, if I can say to the sea, you stay there, come here and no further. If I can do that, Job, I want to tell you, I've got your situation covered. I have you covered. I believe this the spirit of the Lord would speak to us today and let us understand that there is a covering of God I'm telling you I'm thankful for the blanket I'm thankful for the covering of an almighty God amen our society our society has taught us to be good at asking questions but are we good at living with the answers especially if those answers don't fit into our world sometimes when we don't get the answers that make sense to us We tend to get a little cynical. We see traces of this in Job's peril. Job 3 and 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And he spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said, there is a man child conceived. It looks as though he may be failing the test of life, but we need to keep reading because before it's over, Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What a powerful statement. He realized in that litany of questions, he realized in the fierce thundering of God's voice, if I can cause this to happen, I've got you covered. If I can make that happen, I have your situation covered. If we know anything about life, if we know anything about life, I believe we know that it is uncertain. And today, things can be well, but we don't know about tomorrow. I think the ultimate question is this. Can you live without knowing for sure all of the answers? Because in the end, they're not always answers that can satisfy every question. In the end of Job's life, we see the hand of God restore him all things that he had lost. Job 42 and 10, oh, we love to jump over all the chaos and the calamity and the funerals and and the loss and the death and the stench of everything that went wrong. And we love to jump over to Job 42 and 10 and say, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What a powerful thing to happen in his life. What a wonderful way to end it would seem pretty apparent that he, that he gained back what he lost. But he gained it back at a much slower pace. I mean, children had to be born and things of that nature. But God in his infinite wisdom and in his own time began to put back into Job's life everything that he lost. I'm preaching today about the covering of God. God is faithful. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and and, uh, but, but please stay connected with me because I'm not done. In Job 42 and 12, the Bible says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first of them, talking about the daughters, Jemima. The name of the second, Keziah. And the name of the third, Karen Hapik. 
And in all the land were no women found so fair. He didn't just give him back daughters, but he gave him back the most beautiful women in all of the land. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren, which was somewhat out of the trajectory of custom. In the restoration of Job's children, there is one outstanding point made in Scripture. Interestingly enough, only the names of Job's daughters are listed in this last chapter of the book. In the Bible, names are very significant. And I believe for the most part, this audience understands that. And so when we read about all those names that, if we're not careful, help us drift off to sleep, we need to understand there's some significance to these names. So when I look them up, amen, this is what I found. That Jemima means dove. It also, according to Adam Clark, says days upon days. Dove in scripture, of course, is typing a type of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That Holy Spirit that covers us day by day. Amen. Kazai means cassia. And that is an ingredient in the holy anointing oil that we read back in Exodus 29. And then Karen Kapik is the horn of cosmetic, or another word for that would be covering. And so if you put their names together in the progression of which they were born, this is the message that God finally gave to Job. Amen. It came incrementally. It wasn't as quickly as they were taken away. But as these daughters were born into his home, as these daughters were born into his home, the message to Job was this. Day by day, my anointing covers thee. Amen. Day by day, my anointing covers thee. Amen. And so there wasn't a day, not a day, not a day that Jemima walked in the door and Job wasn't reminded he's a daily God. He's a day by day God. He's got me covered today. Whether we label it Monday or whether we label it Wednesday or whether we call it Saturday, he's a day by day God. Amen. Whenever Kazia walked in, amen, the door and sitting at the table, amen, she to her classmates, to her friends was just somebody to hang out with, but it was a message from God for Job. Amen. That that is the anointing oil. Amen. That is that that covered, that is over me. Amen. And then he saw Karen Capic when she sat in the home, maybe wistfully walking by. It was more than that to Job because he remembered day by day my anointing is covering you John said of that spirit the spirit of truth dwelleth in you and it shall be in you amen Paul said that we would be epistles known and read of all men not in tables of stone but in the fleshly tables of the heart I cannot I'm going to tell you today it's a daily thing it's a daily thing I'm glad that the spirit of the Lord wakes up with me in the morning and he goes to bed with me at night Amen. I'm thankful. Let's let's stand. I'm thankful for the covering of God, Brother Wayne Williams. I'm thankful that he's there every day. It's a daily 
thing. Amen. He wakes up with us. His sweet and precious spirit is the fragrance of our soul. His spirit covers us like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard. The Bible said that even went down to the skirt of his garment. It is a daily thing. Amen. There are some witnesses in this holy house today. I'm going to tell you that there are some Job's, amen, that are in this house this morning. Amen. You could stand. You could raise your hand. You could say amen and say, yes, sir, preacher, and yes, sir, God, in my darkest hour, God really was a light to me. In my darkest time, when I didn't think I would make it another step, he really did see me through. He really was the covering that I needed in my life. Hallelujah. Why don't we raise our hands and love the Lord today. Hallelujah. 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 Oh no, this is not a cheerleading session. Oh no, this is not a pep rally you've walked into today. No, no, not at all. Oh, this is truth. This is truth, raw truth that sometimes we walk through life seeing through that glass darkly unable to make the sense of it all but we trust him we trust him we trust him we trust him you know it's one thing to stand at this podium and I hope not to be misunderstood. But it's one thing to stand at this podium before a casket laid there that has someone's body in it that has lived 70, 80, 90 years. We can reconcile that in our mind. But I've stood in front of caskets this long. A little bit higher hill to climb. A little bit more difficult to process that. They give birth to questions. Fair questions, Sister Reddy. Fair questions. We're not uh, insubordinate. We're not trying to be disrespectful. But you know what we can say? Even in those darkest times, God kept us. He kept us. Um, we weren't always clicking our heels. We'll be real about that. We weren't always giddy about it. Cried ourselves to sleep several times. But God kept His hand on us. My Lord, I just feel the comforting presence of the Holy Ghost in here. Let's not pre-dismiss ourselves, but let the Spirit of the Holy Ghost just do something in this closing hour. God has been good to me. Sister Mia so aptly shared with us the powerful lyric of a song that said, I've had good days and I've had bad days. I've had hills to climb. We've been disillusioned at times in the process. But when I step back, I just have to tell you that God has been so good. 
He has been so good to me. That doesn't mean we don't measure loss in our life. And it doesn't mean there's not empty spots in our life. But it just means that God has been better to me than all the sorrow that could ever come my way. Of course, I would be remiss not to close with this. Not every saint who suffers in the will of God is going to have the same ending of Job. He was given twice everything he ever lost. We understand that. The main lesson in the life of Job is not that just keep pressing on and when you come out the other end of this, you're going to be rich and powerful. You're going to have more than you ever had. The main lesson is this. The Almighty God has a purpose in suffering and nothing can prevent that purpose. And so what we need to take home today is this. Day by day, God's anointing covers me. Amen. (laughs) And so that's what I pick up. The umbrella of God's wonderful grace. Amen. The wind is blowing and the storm's sailing, but, but His grace has covered me and He will sustain my steps. I feel like we just need to respond. I don't want you to respond to me, but I just think we need to respond to the presence of the Lord. Can we just gather around today? Amen. We're going to sing this song as we close, but I believe that God is trying to wrap His arms around somebody today and Remind us of some promises that are yea and amen. He is an unfailing God. He is an unfailing God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing it. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.